Uh, if you have no idea who I am, my name is Brad, and I get the opportunity to lead our middle school and young adult ministries here at Westridge. Uh, and if, <laughs> thank you. Um, and if you don't have a young adult, you're not a young adult, you're not a middle school student, you don't have a middle school student. Uh, just to give you a little bit more background on me, I've been at Westridge for 16 years. I started coming right at the end of my high school days. I graduated from East Pauling High School right down the road and uh, used to be over at Westridge when we were at Vaughn Elementary School. Any Vaughn people with us that used to be at Vaughn? That's kind of the way the first service was. There's like three of you. That's good. Um, then we moved to East Pauling High School. Any of you from East Pauling that were there? Okay. Okay, a few more. Uh, and then since we've been here in the building, which would apply to all of us here, um, we've all been here since then. So uh, anyway, it's, it's been awesome to see Westridge grow, see the, uh, just the effect of the gospel in our community and the lives of everyone that has experienced Jesus. And then specifically in student ministry to see students come through and experience the gospel. And then to even have students that I used to have in sixth grade come back and now they're getting married and all these crazy things. And I, I'm not that old, but it makes me feel like I'm, I'm old, I guess just because I've been around here for a while. But, uh, but it's been great being a part of all that. And then just incredibly honored and humbled to be able to be here this morning to teach on a Sunday morning. And, and Brian gave me this opportunity. So, so thankful for him and the rest of the leadership here at Westridge. Uh, and I get this awesome topic of talking about this thing that's more than happy. And so we're going to start this off. It'll be going the next four weeks. We've got several other communicators are going to be coming in. You're going to get to hear from Brent Moxie. Uh, you're going to get to hear from Todd Hampton. And then the guy that used to do what I do now, Tim Grandstaff, is going to be back to, to teach as well. So it's going to be a great series. We're really excited about it. And I'm excited to, get, to, get, to kick it off this morning and start to talk about what is this thing. But to get to more than happy, we need to talk about happy first. So what makes you happy? What's that thing or multiple things that make you just giddy, giggly, whatever makes, us, makes you smile no matter what it is? Uh, and it could be a whole array of things. And since we don't have time for all of you to tell me what those things are, I'll at least tell you what those things are for me, or at least a few of them. So I thought I'd share some of these things. I got them here on the table. I just wanted to show and tell for just a minute. Um, I've got a basketball here from my office, which is... Uh, which really shows to how much work I get done uh, in a week. Uh, we have a little mini goal, but I love sports. I love specifically basketball. I loved watching the finals last week. Uh, I didn't really like the result. I was hoping for the Warriors to win, but happy for Cleveland and the state of Ohio. Uh, you don't get much in Ohio, so uh, at least you got a, an NBA championship. Um, but I love to play basketball. I, I actually... Um, tried out for the basketball team. My students know this. They've heard this story. I tried out for the basketball team eighth grade through senior year, and I made it all of no times. Uh, I didn't make the team, but I did get to play rec ball, which is where you pay someone to let you play. So they, they took my money and let me play. So that was fun. But I played rec ball. That was a lot of fun. I love to watch basketball, play basketball, but I also love to watch football. Most Sundays you'll find me in front of a TV watching the Falcons. Um, typically lose, but we're hoping to turn that around this season. I think we'll do better. Uh, I know a lot of you are big college football fans, a lot of Georgia fans around here. Wow, that was just a few woos. Roll Tide. Any Tech fans? Okay, a few of you. A few of you. Usually those are a scattered few because you guys have to be smart, and there's just not a lot of us smart folks around. So, uh, 
So, I mean, sports is a huge thing for me. I know a lot of you get enjoyment and happiness out of sports. And so we have a basketball we wanted to give to somebody just for a little happiness. Anybody want a new basketball? Hadn't been used in the box. I saw your hand first right there in the beard. He's wearing the beard uh, right there in the front. Thanks, Tyler. Um, He's got sunglasses on his head. So another thing I've got up here is chips and salsa. Uh, I love chips and salsa. Man, I love to go to um, a Mexican restaurant and eat chips and salsa because it's bottomless and it's free. Uh, so it's great. And then I'll, uh, a lot of times eat more of this than I do of my actual meal. So when the meal comes, I'm not even hungry enough to eat it. But specifically, I love Chili's chips and salsa. Like it's my favorite of any chips and salsa. It is the chips and salsa that was made above every other chips and salsa. I believe God has blessed it amongst all others. Uh, and I love that it's bottomless as well. You have to pay for it, but it's worth it to me. I even tried to make chili salsa. Like I looked up the recipe online. How do you make this stuff? So I tried to make it. I literally let my mouth on fire because I, I forgot to take the seeds out of the jalapenos. I don't know if anybody's ever done that. And apparently that's where the heat is. And I like took my first bite and I'm like, ah, like couldn't taste anything for a week. But it was worth the, the shot. But now I just buy it. And it's the only place I go where you normally sit down to eat. And I actually order something to go and pick it up and take it home. Because I, I love it that much. But uh, we don't have the chips and salsa because we thought that might make a mess. But I do have a Chili's gift card. Anybody want that? Make you a little bit happy. All right. I saw the waving hand. Blonde hair. Middle section. Second or third row in that middle section. Blonde hair. Just keep waving so he knows to bring it to you. Okay. Um, I got something else up here. It's, uh, I got some Blu-ray movies. I love movies. It's the summer. A lot of people like to enjoy the movies as well. Um, I've got a few. I've got the Avengers. I love my superhero movies. Anybody? Superhero movies? Okay. Uh, I've got Braveheart. This would be, uh, it's probably number one. Number one movie. My favorite movie. Uh, I also like to try to talk in a Scottish accent. Pretty bad. That's yeah, pretty bad. I'm not going to do that again. Because if you're new, I want you to actually come back again. Um, and then I have Hook, which is the best Peter Pan movie of all time. I don't know if you've ever seen Hook, but Hook is amazing. Uh, rent it if you never have. Um, and then one movie I couldn't find the Blu-ray of, it's my favorite comedy, is a movie called Nacho Libre. Um, anybody seen Nacho Libre before? Yeah? Okay, so I, I'll promote this movie. Like, I'll talk about Nacho Libre. And uh, I talked about it to somebody one time, and they went and they either rented it or bought it and took their fam- like their whole family watched like movie night with the family, right? And the next day or the next week they came up to me and kind of had like a serious face. And I'm like, oh, what'd I do? They're like, Brad, we watched Nacho Libre. I'm like, oh, great, dude. Wasn't it awesome? Brad, I'll never get that two hours of my life back. <laughs> I feel dumber because I watched that movie, Brad. Like, man, I'm sorry. I love it. I think it's hilarious. Jack Black is funny to me. Uh, I mean, he wears stretchy pants. It's, it's, it's a good movie. Um, and I even looked for the movie. I'm like, I'm going to give Nacho Libre away. Like, the people will love it. Um, but it turns out no one sells it. So I think I really am in the minority in liking that movie. So I don't have a Blu-ray of Nacho Libre, but I do have an iTunes gift card. Anybody want that? Um, okay, I saw your hand first. Right here in the front. I know it's not fair because he's in the front, but uh, right here in the glasses, red shirt. Um, I got one other thing up here I want to talk about makes me happy. It's uh, my fishing rod. And you'll notice it has a push button because um, I like to fish like a kid. I don't 
I don't like to deal with all the line stuff that you have to deal with a bait cast reel. Those, those of you that are anglers know what I'm talking about with the, the thumb that makes you stop the line right before it hits the water. It's like a technique. It's like if you're a true fisherman, you know how to use one of those. So obviously I'm not a true fisherman because this is what I use. Um, I have the little button like you do when you're little learning how to fish. But I love to fish. We grew up fishing. Our family went fishing all the time. We went to Lake Altoona the most because it was the closest. So we would go fishing there. Um, my dad fishes all the time. He actually sells fishing equipment for a living. I mean, the dude has a sickness. Uh, he loves it that much. But we were out on the lake this one time. I remember I was in sixth grade and we were fishing in Altoona. We're in one of these little cove off, little off places to the side of the main lake. And we're fishing on this one bank and we had been fishing it for a while and no one had caught anything. And so dad was starting to take us over to another shore because maybe we'll catch something there. And so every time we left the shore, my goal was to keep casting to that, that bank as we're leaving so I could be the one person that like, is like, I caught something on this shore. Like the rest of you couldn't catch anything on the shore, but I caught something because I'm a master fisherman, right? And so I would keep casting. And then this one particular time we're leaving the shore and I made a cast as we were leaving and I felt something big hit the line. I'm like, oh, this is either I hit the bottom or this is Moby Dick. Like, this is massive. This is a big fish. And so I'm like, Dad, Dad, get the net. This is a huge fish. And Dad's like, oh, buddy, it's okay, buddy. It's all right. Just reel it real slow. Just, just, just it. Have fun with it. It's all good. It's okay. And I'm like, okay, I'm telling you, you need to get the net. This feels big. This is a big fish. And I keep fighting this thing. I've got my foot up on the, on the boat. It feels like I'm, on a out, like I'm out in the deep sea, like fishing for marlin or something. I mean, I'm like, I'm fighting the thing. And then all of a sudden there's some slack in the line. The fish breaks the water and it goes up into the air and it's like it jumps into the sunset and goes slow-mo. You know, the, the wave that the fish do. And that moment helped my dad understand that this fish was literally massive. And his whole thing changed. He started freaking out. He's like, buddy, buddy, okay, let me get the net. All right, now keep your rod down. And he started giving me all these pointers at this point. Now set your drag, set your drag. Don't, don't, don't force it. Don't force it, okay? Don't force that fish in here. You'll break the line. Don't break the line. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, okay. So I'm fighting the fish. I'm trying to reel him in. I'm reeling it, trying to do all the things he's saying to do. He's leaning like halfway over the boat to, with the net, like to get it as soon as it's close enough. And as soon as it gets Close enough, he nets the thing, brings it into the boat, and we weigh it. Eight-pound largemouth bass. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and he jokes with me. He's like, man, that fish was about to die. He was just looking for his last meal. <laughs> and he said that, but I didn't even know we had that picture. That's amazing. Um, and I, he, he didn't... <laughs> he didn't like the fact that I had caught a fish bigger than anything he had caught, you know? And years later, he did catch a largemouth that was bigger than that, but uh, he didn't catch it out of Altoona. Um, so after that, I literally quit fishing for a few years because I was kind of like, I mean, I've caught a bigger fish than my dad. Why do I even need to go fishing again? It's like I've reached the pinnacle. Um, what's the point? Uh, but we loved, we loved fish. I still love going fishing. We still go out and we fish uh, even, even now. And uh, those are just some things that make me happy. Like I get excited about these things. I, I love to, to go and experience a movie or eat chips and salsa and, and fish and sports. All that stuff makes me excited. And I think all of us are like that. Like we have our things. Like your things might be different than these. You might have your own things, but you have things that make you happy, make you excited, 
that maybe even gets you up in a particular day. I mean, it plays into our everyday plans. Think about what you're doing the rest of the day or maybe even this coming week. How much of happiness plays into that? Like is motivating you for some of those things? My guess is a lot of those things are motivated by happiness. And it's woven even into our culture and our country. I mean, this is part of the American dream, right? It's, does anybody know it? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It actually comes from the Declaration of Independence. So pursuing happiness is just a part of who we are. It happens all the time. And there's all kinds of things we can experience that give us this feeling. But what is it specifically? Because, I mean, is it a bad thing? Is that a bad thing that happiness is a part of all, all of this? Is, is that all right? Well, let's look at the definition of it, and let's talk about a few more examples of happiness, and, and let's see if we can figure this out. The definition, according to Google, is that happiness or being happy is a feeling or showing pleasure or contentment. So feeling or showing pleasure or contentment. So based off of that definition, let me ask you another question. Have you ever done or thought something that made you feel happy, have that pleasure or contentment feeling, but you knew it was wrong? I just mentioned these things, and those might not necessarily be wrong, but have there been other things in your life that have given you pleasure, contentment, made you happy, that you look at it and you're like, ooh, that's probably not a good thing. A couple of examples. You're walk, you know, you're wherever, you're a public place, downtown Atlanta, whatever. You're walking around down, down at the Square of Marietta. Um, you're a kid in the lunchroom, you know, whatever. You see somebody fall. Some of us, sick, twisted individuals, will laugh at that, right? We'll be like, <laughs> I mean, you don't want them to be seriously hurt. You know, you're just like, if they just fall into a bush or something, you're probably going to laugh at that. I mean, it's the reason why the first few episodes of American Idol and shows like that are so highly rated, right? What are we watching for? What gives us the contentment and the happy feeling? The train wrecks, like the horrible, horrible auditions where people are singing, but not really. Like they're trying, but it's just not happening. It's almost like a wreck that happened and you can't look away. Like that's kind of what's happening in those moments and it brings some happiness there. But then there's even some, some other things that, that can give us some happiness uh, that we just know is wrong. And uh, I think of this one particular story where um, me and my wife lived in a neighborhood that had a stop sign in it. And every time we got to the stop sign, I would stop at it because I'm, I'm a law-abiding citizen. So if you're, if you're a police officer, I, I obey the law. Uh, I do what—I know that's not a police thing, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I was—I stop every time at the, at the stoplight or at the stop sign. And my wife is always like, babe, there's no one here. This is a small neighborhood. It's just these little stop signs—just go. And I'm like, beautiful, gorgeous wife, no. It's a stop sign. I'm going to stop. And I would stop every time. And she would always rag me about it. She would always make fun of me for it. She would always say, just roll past it. So one Sunday, we had been here at church. We took separate cars because I'm here for all the services. And she's here for just one and then goes back home. And I was on my way home from church. And as I'm going down into the neighborhood, I see a police car and I see a car pulled over. (laughs) You know where this is going. And I look over and I see a very attractive lady who's been pulled over, and, uh, and it's my wife. 
and it's right at the stop sign. And I started dying laughing. And I couldn't help but have a goofy grin on my face and just wave with the window down. I'll see you at home, honey. (laughs) But the funnier part about that story is that I'm the one who had to pay the ticket. So... So it wasn't really right for me to be happy about her getting this ticket. Um, and similar situations can happen to us at work. I mean, there might be somebody who gets demoted or, or gets in trouble at work and you kind of get some enjoyment out of that. Uh, or even somebody might get fired and you're just kind of like, hey, I knew it. I was hoping this day would happen. Or your boss gets fired. Like that might even be the best. It's like, yes, thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Finally, uh, and we get all kinds of weird enjoyment and happiness out of these things that aren't necessarily right. And then if we're going to kind of get a little bit more serious, there's some things we'll think sometimes, maybe even some things we wish we could say to certain people. And we'll, we'll play the whole scenario out in our head, you know, like a conversation, a fight that happens. And we say all the zingers, right? We say everything we're thinking in our minds and we feel good about it. And there might be even things we wish we could do like, Dude, if I could, I would deck this dude in the face and you feel good thinking about doing that. I mean, there's these thoughts that we have. And then if we're we're being really honest, family-friendly service, so we're not going to get specific here, but there's some thoughts some of us might have that make us feel good. They make us feel happy. But if our spouse were to know we're having that thought, it would not be a good day. There would not be happy feelings going on. So there's things that we feel, there's things we experience, there's things we think that lead us to happiness, but they're not always good things. And not only that, but happiness doesn't always last either. I mean, you can think back to when you're a kid or if you have a kid, there's the Christmas list, right? And you've got it kind of tiered out. It's, it's listed in order of priority. So number one was the biggest thing. It's like, if I get this thing, Christmas was a success. It was merry. It was a great, great Christmas. And then Christmas Day rolls around, you get that thing, your kid gets that thing, and they're just like excited, they're on cloud nine, so happy. A week goes by and they're already making up the next Christmas list, right? There's already a new number one, and that thing they got is sitting on the floor, not being played with, and they're bored with it, right? I mean, happiness doesn't last. It's the same thing with us as we get older. We get that car, we get that job, we get that house, whatever that thing may be that we think is going to make us so happy, and it does for a moment, for a season— but it wears off, like it doesn't last. And happiness doesn't last. And so we see from these examples, from these things that we've just experienced in life, that happiness is temporary and it's dependent on our circumstances. It's all about what's happening in our life in the moment on if it's actually, you're experiencing happiness. And then once it's, it's here and it's, it happens, then it's done and it's gone. And so if happiness isn't always a good thing and it doesn't last, is it a bad thing? That's kind of the question I think we we get to then. It's like, okay, are you basically saying happiness is bad and evil? Well, I mean, if it doesn't go contrary to what God said, it's not sin, then no, things that make you happy aren't inherently bad. They're not evil. These things on the table here are not evil, bad things. But there's something so much better than this feeling of happiness and the things that bring happiness. There's something way better than that and that's just more than happy. And that's what we're going to focus on for the rest of this morning. And like so many things back in creation, you can find happiness. 
I mean, you look in Genesis and you see the first humans that were created. You see the garden, you see the animals, the plants. Everything that was made by God was good. And they have this good relationship. But Adam and Eve take this detour and they decide to pursue this gratification, this peace, contentment outside of their relationship with God. And so now happiness has become fractured, it's become broken, and it's not what it was meant to be. It was meant to only come from this relationship between us and our creator. But then his creation tried to find happiness in God's creation as opposed to in the creator. And it messed the whole thing up. And so now, because of that, happiness just can't be trusted. Like it's, it's, not, the whole, it's not the whole thing it used to be. And now because of this fractured creation that we live in, this fallen creation, because of sin, the only way to actually feel this contentment, this thing that used to be happiness, we have to have this thing called joy. And joy is different than happiness. These are not the same things. But if you look up the definition of joy on Google, it's a very similar definition to happiness. But if you actually look up these words in the Bible, it's interesting because you see joy actually pops up 242 times in the Bible. Happiness only shows up 20 times. And so joy apparently is a much bigger deal than happiness, and it's something that God's trying to point us to a whole lot more than happiness. So we're going to actually let the Bible define joy for us, not Google or anything else. So here's the definition that we're going to work from that comes from what God says about joy. It's the ability given by God that enables love, hope, and peace to be believed in and experienced in all circumstances throughout your life. Let's say that one more time, just so it sinks in, so we can keep this conversation going. It's the ability given by God that enables love, hope, and peace to be believed in and experienced in all circumstances throughout your life. So just right there, we, if this definition's true, and we're going to see that it is as we read through this, but just in that, we see that joy is not conditional on circumstances, and it does last throughout your entire life. So how do you get this? This sounds great. It's like, okay, this is like an upgraded version of happiness. This is like the, the deluxe package of happiness. How do I get that? Well, Galatians chapter 5 gives this description and list of these things that we get from God, and they're called the fruits of the Spirit. And this is what it says in Galatians five twenty two in the first part of 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard that list before. If you haven't, good news. These are things that are available to you. You get these things when you get God, because these are the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. When He enters your life and is now present in you, and you are doing what he is saying, you're, you're letting him have his will and his way in your life, you get to experience these fruits, this whole list. Now, we talk about the Holy Spirit a lot here at Westridge. We've had series on the Holy Spirit. Um, we talk about him in the midst of other series because he is God, and he's mentioned multiple times in the Bible. And if you haven't heard any of those series, you don't know much about the Holy Spirit, the main thing that we need to get to understand this idea of joy is that he lives inside of us once we accept Jesus as our Savior. He takes up residence in, in us, and he helps reveal who God is to us. He's teaching us, and he's telling us how we can actually follow Jesus. Because this following Jesus thing is not always easy. 
And sometimes we get confused on what it even looks like, but the Holy Spirit is the one who's telling us how to do it and enabling us to do it. And so this change of the Holy Spirit living in us and, and honestly changing us where we're living the way Jesus lived, this thing is called being made new. And we see that mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Or we even see Jesus call it being born again. So if you've heard that phrase before, either in the church or outside of the church, that's where it comes from. It comes from Jesus saying, when you accept me and you get this Holy Spirit, you're now born again. You're this new creation. And this matches up with the psalmist in Psalm 51. And this is a pretty famous psalm where he's talking about this idea of a new creation and the Holy Spirit. And he says this in chapter 51, verses 10 through 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God. So there's that new creation, that new heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Thank God he doesn't. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So in each one of these verses, we see one element of this thing that we're talking about. We see the new creation, the new heart in the first verse, verse 10. Verse 11, we see the Holy Spirit as being a part of this new creation. And then we see joy in verse 12 being something that comes from the salvation that God brings us. And so this is the source, right? If you're a Christian, then you have this joy inside you all the time because you have a new heart and God's spirit in you. And you have those things because you know Jesus and Jesus redeeming and resurrecting your life is the source of your joy. That's where it comes from, from him. So then now we see, based on these things, that happiness is an emotion of the heart, but joy is a condition of the heart. It's something that your heart is just, it just is. It's part of the makeup of this new creation of who you are is joy. Whereas happiness, it can come and go. And it doesn't necessarily matter if you know Jesus or not, because those things can be found in all kinds of different places, but they don't last. And it depends on what you're doing in your life, if you even experience them or not. So if this is true, if, if happiness is an emotion of the heart and joy is a condition of the heart, then why don't Christians experience or feel it more often? It's probably a question we could all ask, right? Why don't I feel more joyful in life? I've, I know Jesus. You know, I've, I, I've read the Bible before. I, I understand some things about God. I'm a good person. You know, I, I do good things. I... Well, but why don't I have more of joy? This thing that's bigger and better than happiness. Why don't I just see that more? Well, one of the Holy Spirit's roles or functions is to reveal truth to us. Like, what is truth? And what's funny is Jesus is truth. He even calls himself the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. And so he is truth, and he is the way we're supposed to live. He is the, the path we're supposed to walk down and, and everything we do in our everyday life is meant to mimic him if we want to truly be the people he made us to be and have this abundant life that we read about in John 10, 10. So what's interesting is John 16, Jesus starts to describe the spirit that is now in us and that is coming. At the time when he says this, the spirit's going to be coming. But for us now, he has already come. And this is what he says about that spirit. He says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit that's in us now is telling us what Jesus is telling him. 
So the Holy Spirit's like a translator. He's like the mouthpiece to help us get what this thing is to be a Christian, to know Jesus, and to have this relationship. And this means that because of the Holy Spirit, we have a voice of truth in our lives all the time, telling us more of who Jesus is and how to follow him. Because of that relationship, we actually get to experience this abundant joy that's found in this relationship and in this journey. So what does that look like? Because when you accept Jesus and you get the Holy Spirit, it's not like you have this oh, moment and you now know everything about God and how to be a Christian, and how to enjoy life and have joy. I mean, that just doesn't happen. There's, there's some things that, that go along in this journey. Like there's some things that, that need to happen in addition to that. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, some more elaboration on what the Spirit is doing inside of us and how he's revealing this truth. It says in verse 12, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand, now get this, what God has freely given us. What has God given us? He's already spoken. He's already given us his words. He's already given us this thing we call the Bible. And the reason we always teach from it on Sunday mornings and we, we, we hope people are reading it on a daily basis, I hope I'm reading it on a daily basis, is for this reason. The Spirit is translating what he's given us. He's translating the Bible for us so we can read this thing, understand it, and actually use it. So if joy is a fruit of the Spirit, it's something that comes from actually listening to the Spirit. God helps us to understand what he has said through Jesus by giving us this translator to these words that you have taken in and let the Holy Spirit teach you what they actually mean. In other words, you have to actually pick up the Bible and read it so the Holy Spirit can tell you what you just read and how to use it. So to internalize it, to actually allow it to continue to mold you and lead you in life, to lead the way of Jesus, to help you walk in those same footsteps. Because we can't do it by ourselves. We have to have the Holy Spirit in order to do that. And so if that's the case, then could it be that if we're not experiencing more joy in our life, maybe it's because we're not listening. We're not listening to this Holy Spirit that's inside of us. Or we've never trusted Jesus as our Savior. We don't even have the Spirit to listen to at this point. What's great about God is he freely offers himself. He, he never withholds himself from anyone. He's available to everyone. And so if we don't listen to God, we don't hear his voice, we're not listening for that, who do we typically listen to in those situations? We typically default to who we've always listened to our whole life, which is ourself. We've always heard our voice. We've always known what we tell ourselves. And so that's normally who we listen to when we don't listen to God. And so when we do that, we actually are going back to our old self is what the Bible says. And the old self is not a good self to be. And then we selfishly start to begin to pursue whatever it is that will bring us happiness the quickest instead of living in the joy that comes from following Jesus really reminiscent of Adam and Eve. We revert right back to what they did. We start to try to fill the void and we try to go outside of God for our happiness and for our contentment and our peace. And we always come up short when we do that. It never, ever works. And so what's funny about that is happiness is actually an imitation of what true joy actually is and that is found in Jesus. So it almost feels like the right thing because it's a shadow of the real thing. 
And it's a partial reflection. It's like you kind of, it's almost when you look in one of those uh, carnival mirrors and you see something, it's like, that kind of looks like me, but my head is huge. Or my hips are gigantic. Or my, I have cankles. You know, whatever the thing is. It's not actually you. It's just like, kind of you. And that's happiness and joy. Happiness is kind of joy, but not really. It's been deformed by sin, and so we can't really trust it. We can't be all about that. But even though it feels good and it almost feels like the right thing, it isn't always. And so this is what causes us to need to trust and believe and have faith in the truth that God is in control. He's good. He's loving. And everything else that's true about him. Regardless of our feelings, we have to continually remind ourselves that joy isn't a feeling. It's a condition of our heart when it's made, made new by Jesus. And so this is how when tragedies happen, a, a crazy illness, a life-altering illness happens, or you get laid off from a job, or something just, just bad happens in your life, that those moments can be gotten through, and you can still have an element of joy in your life in those moments. Now, it doesn't mean you walk up, you know, and you, you, know, you, you hear the news that you have cancer, and you're just like, <laughs> that's awesome, because that's weird and inappropriate, and it doesn't make sense. But it also doesn't wreck your entire world and ruin your whole life, because you know this joy that passes that, like it's bigger than that. And it's in everything. So it doesn't matter if you just got horrible news or you got great news. Because joy persists through all that. Joy is always present because Jesus is always present. God's love is always present. His grace is always present. And so joy is in all of those things. So you can withstand these storms or these fires like that song was talking about before I got up here. I mean, these are the things we can withstand because of this joy that we now have in us as a result of having Jesus in our life. And they are in everything, but not even the big things. Like, they're even in the small things. Like, this is why you can sit on the lake and just take in the sunset, hanging out, and, and just enjoy that. And it's not about that moment and the happiness that you feel in it. It's actually that moment that points to you to this bigger thing, to this God that loves you and that is so good that he lets you have this moment. He created this lake that you're sitting in. He created this sunset that you're, you're watching the food that you just ate, those little moments, you know, that just make us happy. Those are okay. There's nothing wrong with those. But life isn't about those moments. Life is about the God that gave you those moments. And it's so these things, all these things kind of combine the, the mundane all the way to the tragic and everywhere in between that continue to point us back to this joy that life isn't about these moments of happiness, but about living in the joy that God brings us and so in life, what's interesting is that happiness is actually never guaranteed. We're not guaranteed one moment of happiness, which is why some of us live in misery. We're constantly chasing happiness, and it never happens. But we're not promised it. Even the, the American dream doesn't promise it, right? We're promised the what? The pursuit. That sounds fun. You don't even know if you're going to get it. But with Jesus, joy is promised. You, you're going to get that. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You're going to get joy if you get Jesus. And Jesus is offered to all of us. And so it gives us this perspective to know that when 
and if happy moments do happen, they are just another reason to trust and thank God for who he is. And when we start living in this joy and believing the Holy Spirit, when he tells us the truth, we start sounding a lot like the psalmist who delights in just knowing God and that we're his. So let's read Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. And this psalmist is just kind of reveling and and enjoying the presence of God. And this is what he says. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for, we made, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This psalm is us. Once we were made new and found as a son and daughter of God, we are never going to be the same, and he will never let us go. And so... Because we'll never be the same, that joy that's found in his presence will last forever, both in heaven and here and now, no matter what. So there isn't anything wrong with being happy, but the joy that we get by knowing and following Jesus is so much better. And so pursuing happiness is is this never-ending task that ultimately ends with emptiness, but joy is a byproduct of pursuing Jesus that fills us up with hope. Happiness ends, but joy persists because Jesus persists. So what if we all stop pursuing this happiness, this experience, this feeling that's here and then it's gone, and we all started pursuing Jesus? Started listening to his words, started trusting who he is, and living every day in the joy that comes as a result. What's great about our God is that he loves every single one of us. That in spite of the shortcomings we all have, and we all have them, none of us is righteous, none of us have made it. None of us is good enough. But because of Jesus, we can be his righteousness. We can be his sons and daughters. We can know him. We can know this joy that can permeate every aspect of our life. And he offers it to every one of us. And so for some of us in here, if you've never had this kind of joy I'm talking about and then we've read about, you just need to take that first step. Come to know Jesus. When you know Jesus, you come to know this joy. You'll get to experience it. And then for some of us who know Jesus, some of us might need to take a step back from what we've actually been pursuing. We might have been pursuing happiness more than we've been pursuing Jesus. We've gotten kind of our focus off. And we just need to realign this morning. Because God's here. He's, he hasn't changed. He's still calling you to the same thing. He's still got the same Holy Spirit in you. And so we're going to take some time and just give you a moment to have with God. So wherever you're at, just close your eyes and just know this is just between you and him. If you need to take that first step of salvation and trust in Christ, the Bible says all you have to do is trust in your heart, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. He will always save those who reach out and call out to him. So you in your own words, just have that moment. God, I need Jesus. I want to know you. I want to follow you. The point isn't the joy. The point is Jesus. But because of Jesus, you get the joy. So you and God have that moment. For the rest of us in here, you might need to just have a moment of God where you just, God, please refocus my heart. Remind me that I have a new heart. 
Remind me who I'm living for. Remind me that this is not about me. This isn't about being happy. This is about being more than happy. This is about knowing Jesus. Help me to pursue him again. Help me to actually listen to the words he says by reading the Bible, letting the Holy Spirit tell me what, he's, what he means when he says these things. And return, return to me the joy of my salvation. And so that, that prayer is something I want to pray for me and for you, all of us in the room. And it's actually the prayer that Paul has for the church in Romans. And it's Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that over each one of our lives. Help us to trust you. Help us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and the relationship that we have in Jesus. And because of that relationship in this journey, that we would just have lives that are abundant with joy. And that as we go out in our life and we experience things, whether they be good or bad, that joy would persist because Jesus persists. And we'd be able to be beacons of joy, not only for ourselves, but for the people around us. And people would see Jesus in us because of this. So God, thank you for this joy. Thank you for this fruit that you give us. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.